Your government is failing you. I did not know that. While you live your life, work, pay your bills, and budget your money to live within your means, the people we elect never live by the same principles when running our country to the detriment of us, the citizens, and our future children and grandchildren. Rules for thee and not for me is the saying that absolutely comes to mind in a scenario like this. Let's jump into learning about the debt ceiling and how exactly it works. All right, so it's early 2023. The US and the world are worried about runaway inflation. Countries are debating whether to further increase their interest rates and whether a major recession is coming immediately. And boom, a huge piece of news comes out. The outstanding debt of the United States government has reached its legal limit, AKA the debt ceiling. That limit had been set by Congress at about 31 and a half trillion at that time in December, 2021. So yeah, right in the middle of COVID, we completely ran out of money as a country. And on the day that that limit was reached, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen instituted what she called extraordinary measures to allow necessary borrowing for a limited period of time. If this whole situation isn't alarming for you yet, then let's keep going. First things first, flexibility versus fiscal fights. A debt ceiling was first established in the US in 1917 to give the federal government more flexibility to borrow during World War I. Before that time, all borrowing had to be authorized directly by Congress with very specific terms, which made it difficult for the government before that period to respond to changing needs. But it also had the benefit of slowing down government spending, which obviously prevented things like runaway expenses. The modern era debt ceiling, which aggregates almost all government debt under one single limit, was established in 1939. That said, since 1960 alone, and most of those times, had almost no fanfare whatsoever. But that all changed in 2011. See, in 2011, a political battle over the ceiling pushed the treasury so close to the edge that Standard & Poor's, aka the rating company that brought you the S&P 500, the Standard & Poor's 500 index, where they choose the top 500 companies in the US, Yes, that Standard & Poor's. So that debt ceiling got so close that Standard & Poor's downgraded the credit rating of the United States government. If you don't understand how significant this is, it's basically like waking up and your personal credit score being significantly reduced, like obliterated. The risk could be massive to your personal financial situation in that hypothetical scenario. Okay, so now take that and multiply it over 100 trillion, which is the current global GDP, most of which is reliant on the US dollar for their trade. I mean, losing a credit rating for the US is a big deal for everyone. All right, so the debt ceiling remains the amount that the US Treasury can borrow to meet financial obligations that are already authorized by Congress. It does not authorize future spending, however. But beginning with the bitter battle of 2011, where the debt ceiling was used for the first time on a wide scale politically and in the media as a tool for one opposing political party, it has since been used as leverage for partisan negotiations over government spending multiple times. With the House and the House of Representatives, which must authorize the spending, any year's recent negotiations can be particularly difficult. Basically, whichever political party is in the minority gets a chance to hold out on approving the budget with the White House and they typically get some concessions that they otherwise would not have gotten. Why is that? 
because they are basically threatening to allow the entire government to shut down. Which, if we're being realistic, would ruin the game for all politicians, on both sides of the aisle. Now let's be realists for a sec. Can you imagine a worse label in politics than not being able to even keep the government open on your watch? So yeah, it's a pretty high level game of chicken. The risks are very big for both sides. And basically, and the ruling party typically has to keep the less powerful party happy so that they can all save face to the American public, AKA us. Potential consequences if the debt ceiling is not raised in a timely manner in the US is that the government could default on its financial obligations. This would result in unpaid bills, higher interest rates, and a loss of faith in the US, which is arguably one of the most damaging things that would happen to us globally. If global faith in US securities wavered, we would be dealing with reverberation throughout the literal entire world. It's in no one's best interest in the entire world for this to happen. And while it's unlikely that most situations will lead to an actual real true default, pushing negotiations and closer and closer to the edge can be damaging in itself. It was estimated that in that 2011 incident, that it cost the US taxpayers over $1.2 billion in increased borrowing costs alone in 2011. And that's in addition to additional costs in following years. Put simply, the federal government runs at a deficit, meaning they are not meeting their obligations on a daily basis financially. The cost of this is very simple. Tax revenues, their income, do not meet their spending obligations, AKA all the government programs and all the things that the government has obligations to perform on. And this is not new guys. Federal spending has outpaced revenue for the last 50 years, except for a very short window between 1998 and 2001. Each time the government does not balance their books, the annual budget deficit adds to the national debt, which has accelerated and accelerated with the last handful of presidencies. The current national debt sits at way above $30 trillion and is the highest in US history ever. However, measuring the debt as a percentage of gross domestic product actually provides a better comparison over time. So let's use that metric and take a look a little more in depth. More specifically, economists look at debt held by the public, AKA the fund the government has borrowed to meet expenses and liabilities, primarily through issuing treasury securities. Also worth noting is interagency debt, which are funds borrowed from government accounts, such as the social security trust funds are also subject to debt limits but they don't directly affect the economy or the federal budget. So let's take a minute to dig into some of the scary numbers of GDP versus national debt. At the end of fiscal year 2022, debt held by the public was equivalent to 97% of gross domestic product of GDP. That's a nearly one to one ratio. That is insane. But okay, okay. We had a huge pandemic, we had riots and civil unrest, we had huge supply chain disruptions, et cetera, et cetera. So then let's look at before the pandemic. What was it like then? Well, in 2019, before the pandemic, it was still at 79% of GDP, still ridiculously high. And if we set the clock back further to 2007, before the Great Recession, it was still at 35%. Now, to be fair, both of these crises, AKA the pandemic and the Great Recession, caused explosions of the deficit and debt due to lower tax revenue and high spending on government stimulus programs. The last time the debt exceeded current levels, but still it's the current situation we're in. And the last time the debt exceeded current levels 
was at the end of World War II, meaning we have spent so insanely much that the last time it was this bad, we were funding a world war. And sadly, future projections are not exactly positive. In a new early 2023 analysis, the CBO projected that debt will rise steadily over the next decade to 118% of GDP in 2033, which would be the highest percent in US history. The driving forces behind this are exactly what we talked about before. It would be caused by an increase in spending, especially on government programs like Social Security and Medicare, but also due to interest costs, meaning the debt that we're not paying back, we have to pay interest rates on. So that is snowballing against us as well. And to make matters worse and a little more complicated, if the current situation doesn't change how it's going now, the debt is projected to rise even more quickly in the next two decades, reaching nearly 200% of GDP by 2053. If we're not careful right now, we give future generations a debt burden that is twice the amount that our country even makes. And all this is as the strongest and most powerful nation in the entire world. The only way to change this trajectory is to increase revenue or reduce spending, but more than likely it's gonna require both. The rosiest and most optimistic and really the best scenario would be if we had decades of economic growth that increases the revenues at current tax rates. But realistically, this is unlikely. The CBO projects real, aka inflation adjusted, GDP growth to an average rate barely above 1.5% annually over the next decade. With that being the case, raising tax rates may be very necessary, but that's also a super dicey political situation for both sides of the aisle. There's also very little room to maneuver on the spending side. Only 28% of federal spending is what's considered discretionary, meaning Congress can set amounts through annual appropriations bills, and almost half of that spending goes to national defense, by the way, which few leaders with the current global climate and with the war going on on Eastern Europe's doorstep. The rest is mandatory spending, including Social Security, Medicare, which alone account for nearly 36% of federal spending in 2023. And also the other big item is the interest on the national debt, which we already mentioned. That only snowballs and that only gets bigger. Currently, both parties have indicated that Social Security and Medicare are completely off the table, okay? Other mandatory spending could be reduced through congressional action, however. U.S. Treasury securities are guaranteed by the federal government to pay on time to timely payments of principal and interest. The reality is that the debt situation in the U.S. has a global impact, which is vitally important for you to understand if you wanna manage your wealth effectively today in this environment. We currently host full multiple hour webinars live on topics like these on an ongoing basis. And these topics are again presented live, which you can ask the questions in the live webinar and get your questions answered immediately with an interactive discussion. We're covering things like the future of the US dollar, AI's impact in the investment world, and how long you can expect inflation and high rates to last. If you're a smart investor who cares about your wealth, hit the link in the description below to see the upcoming webinar schedule. Also, in times of out-of-control inflation, turbulent markets, difficult investment decisions, etc., stable income investing has never been more important. 
I'm putting up a video next to me now on how to use the strategy of income fund investing to beat many of today's investment options by over 60%. Hit the video next to me now to learn more about that strategy. Today, we're in a world that has been through massive market swings in recent years, including 50% losses in equities at one point, 